0: This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Covert, Building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Uh, open your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11. Tonight, I want to look at the need for faith. Faith is extremely important. In Hebrews chapter 11, and verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. That is God it's talking about there. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There's a lot in that verse, and and, uh, it it tells us that we have to have faith. And in a moment we'll look at what that means, but it says we have to uh, believe two things about God. First of all, we have to believe that he is. Now, there are a lot of people that, that think he doesn't exist. No, there are a lot of people that say they think he doesn't exist. Everybody knows he exists. And those who say he doesn't are really just, just people who don't want him to exist. And they think if I say, oh, I didn't believe he exists, when I get up there, he won't be able to condemn me because I, it wasn't my fault. But the main reason that I'm dealing with this subject is because we're here starting a church. Starting a church is no easy thing. It requires faith. Uh, The message is about allowing God's Word to govern our lives. But there are two things we have to believe about God, and we have to believe that He is. What does that mean? Do we have to believe He exists? No, it's more than that. We have to believe that the God of the Bible exists. And the God of the Bible is not the same as Allah. It's not the same as the the Hindu gods or or the Indian gods or, or everything. The first thing we need to understand about God and believe is God is holy. We don't talk a lot about that today, but God is absolutely holy. So what does holy mean? Well, the word means separate, but what it means is he is absolutely separated from sin there's no sin in him he can't abide sin he can he can't allow sin into his presence he he is absolutely holy and we need to understand that because when we understand that we will start understanding our unholiness but we also have to uh, understand and believe that he is a righteous judge his judgments will always be right and the bible tells us twice that he will not clear the guilty sin's going to be punished we have to believe that he is creator and i want us to think about that just for a second he spoke and all this stuff happened that's power folks that is power words are powerful the bible talks over i believe it's in james about the tongue being such a, a small member yet it can do so much damage and that's true but but god's Speech is so much beyond anything our speech could be. He he spoke the world, the the universe, into into existence. And we have to believe that he is the savior. And something I found rather interesting on that. Over the Old Testament, Jehovah is speaking and says, I am the Savior, there's no Savior but me. But we know Jesus is the Savior. And you go to Titus, and in every chapter of Titus, it says, God is Savior and Jesus is Savior in every chapter. Because why? They're one and the same. But those are some things that we have to believe. That's the God we have to believe in. Then we have to believe that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. It doesn't say that look for Him. It says diligently seek Him. So what does that mean? Well, diligent, diligent means to constantly apply effort to accomplish something. There's a conscious constant effort to seek after God and what he wants and and what he expects of us to diligently seek him means to seek first of all his kingdom and his righteousness in Matthew 6.33 which is my life's verse it says but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you and read the, the verses before that and find out you have all you need to eat not all you want maybe maybe not all the good stuff that you'd like to have, but you'll have sufficient. I mean, there was a time when God only provided potatoes for us. But my wife can make potatoes in so many ways that taste so good, you know, but he provided that. And, and clothing. And things like this. So so we'll have all of those things if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And that's what it means to diligently seek him. So th- that's necessary If we're going to please God, just go up to verse 1. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's God's definition of faith. We have this idea that faith is some little thing we stick back in the mind that we call up to make us feel good when things are going bad, or something like that. We think it's, well, I, I just believe that. No, faith is much more than that. Faith is like a bird, it has two wings. So Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The Greek word means exactly the same thing as our English word, substance. So what does substance mean? Substance means that it stands underneath, substance. When I drop my Bible, it stops when it gets here because it has substance. It's a portrait from underneath, and that's exactly what the Greek word means, this translated substance. So, first of all, it's that which stands under the things hoped for. And that's an important principle. We have hope of things because we have God's promises. We have God's word which tells us what we should hope for. And this is what what stands under the things we hope for. That's the believing part of faith. But it says the evidence of things not uh, seen. If I tell you I believe something, can you see it? No. You can't see what's going on up here. I mean, God can, but you can't. Faith is believing something enough to where there's evidence that proves that's what you believe. But I'll give you a great example of what I'm talking about. Abraham and Sarah were promised a son. And they didn't get it until they were old, when they finally gave him a son. Then he allows that son to grow up to at least a teenager maybe into his 20s. The Bible doesn't tell us. It's hard to tell for exactly. And, and Abraham's love for that son was, all of us that are parents can understand that. It was a tremendous love. And one day God comes to Abraham He says, Okay, Abraham, I want you to take that son that I've given you, and I want you to take him to a place that I'm going to show you, and I want you to offer him for a burnt sacrifice. What did Abraham do? He went to bed. He got up the next morning he got all his stuff ready and he took off and he gets to the mountain and he's walking up the mountain and his son who's a smart man says uh, he says hey father we've got the wood and we've got the fire but where's the sacrifice and abraham's answer and the wording is significant he said that god would provide himself a sacrifice doesn't mean he himself will provide the sacrifice which he did do but he said he will provide himself a sacrifice which he did on the cross of calvary and they get up there and you know the story he raises a knife to kill him and there's a lamb caught in a thicket and, and that's that's the sacrifice but that's what faith is abraham believed god and how was it proved when god said go offer your son that you're going to have your descendants come from in hebrews it tells us that that uh that uh uh, abraham believed that even if he killed him god would raise him back up to do what he promised that's faith that's what faith is faith is something that you believe so strongly that it changes your life it controls the way you live there's a phrase that's found five times four times four times in the scriptures the Old Testament one's got one word different than the three New Testament ones. But it's, it's uh, first of all found in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. It said, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. That word his is, isn't in any of the New Testament ones. That phrase lifted up means to be swelled up it's talking about somebody who's who's presumptuous and thinks that everything's about them and this type of thing that's what it means and, and it says that he's he's not upright that means he's not straight he's not righteous this is somebody who's who who thinks that he knows better than god how to do things the the saved the just shall live by faith think about that is a lost person counted among the just the saved the just shall live by faith that means we should live by faith we should live trusting god the second one tells us that faith is also the means which we uh, gain our salvation it's found in romans chapter 1 and verse 17 says for herein is the righteousness of god revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith It's telling us that God's righteousness is revealed through faith. Two types of faith. It's revealed by saving faith. His righteousness is seen in the fact that he found a way that he could remain just and righteous and still pardon the sinner by coming down himself in the form of the Son and dying on the cross and paying our sin debt. But his righteousness is also seen in the lives of those who are saved and that's what it means it means from saving faith to living faith from faith to faith God's righteousness is seen so although we're saved by faith and that's how we become just once we are just we're to live by faith Um, the third one Uh, tells us that we don't live by the law in uh, Galatians chapter 3 verse 11 it says but no man is justified by the law in the sight of God it is evident for the just shall live by faith the Bible teaches that if we try and live by the law we are obligated to every point of the law you see it doesn't take much to become a lawbreaker takes breaking one law, one time. Once that happens, we become guilty. And all of us are guilty of breaking God's law. Therefore, we are under the judgment of God. And uh, so we can't live by the law. We are to live by faith. Put our faith in Christ for salvation and put our faith in Christ for living. The fourth time it's used is in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 38 and 39 Uh, it's in 38 but I wanted 39 there to give us a little context it says now the just shall live by faith But but if any man draw back my soul shall have no pleasure in him but we are not of those who draw back unto perdition but of them who believe to the saving of the soul so here it's talking about if you live by faith you don't draw back someone who draws back is not truly saved they haven't believed to the saving in their soul now how do i know that well in second corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 it says uh, for godly work of sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of but the sorrow of the world worketh death but when you repent and turn to god and you trust christ for salvation you will never repent of that never turn away from that never turn back on that so uh, the just shall live by faith but those who are saved will never turn away from their faith if they're truly saved your faith will be tested god will test your faith he doesn't test it for his sake he knows how we're going to respond in every situation before anything ever comes up. He tests it for our sake. He tests our faith so we can grow. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, it says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, um, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ your faith will be tried and when it's tried it's much more precious than gold not just more precious much more precious than gold the trying of our faith is one of the most important things that happens to us as christians sometimes men like to be all big built up and muscled and stuff like this and they like that so what do they do they either buy themselves the equipment or go down to the gym and they work out and they work till it hurts because you don't get any real growth until it hurts faith is the same way faith is strengthened by the trials that it goes through and uh, in Romans chapter 5 verses 3 and 4 it says and not only so but we glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope now there's a circle there that we're going to see in this but first of all Patience is not sitting on our duff doing nothing and waiting. Patience is keeping on, keeping on even when it doesn't make sense or it doesn't look good. It's doing what's right even if it seems like this isn't going to work and we'll get more into that kind of stuff a little uh, in a moment here. But, but it's keeping on when things don't look good. Experience is learning through our patience and our tribulation that God is still there and he's still working he will take you through it we want God to take us out of tribulation God knows it's best to us for us to take us through the tribulation where we get through the tribulation and as we get through the tribulation we we learn something we gain some experience we we learn that hey God got me through this say it wasn't fun going through this It, it hurt a little bit but God got me through this if you've been a Christian very long, you've had at least some minor experiences like that. You maybe have had some big ones. But God gets us through it, and that's experience. And what does experience do? Experience works hope. What's our definition definition of faith? The substance of things hoped for. It increases our faith. When we go through the trials of our lives, the difficulties, whether it's in our personal lives, whether it's the trials we're going to have as we try and build a church here, because we're going to have it they're going to be here we've already had one where we got kicked out of the first place we were meeting in because we stood for righteousness not because we did something wrong but because we stood for righteousness so what i'm what i'm trying to get across here is when our faith is trial uh, tried our faith muscles are built and we become stronger in in the lord we're more able to trust him We go through the trials of life. God puts us there so we learn things so we can better serve Him. There are three reasons that God puts trials in our lives. The one we often think of the most is the one where He's spanking us for something. That's probably, for a Christian who's trying to live for the Lord, the most uncommon reason. The least likely to be the reason. Another reason is to grow our faith to help strengthen our faith help us learn to depend on god and the third reason is to give us experience that we can use to help somebody else that's going through a trial those are three reasons that there may be more but those are three reasons that i can think of that that god allows us or causes us to go through trials i remember some of the things that my parents did in particular, my mother corrected me when I was growing up, and I'm not going to mention them, but I'm just going to say this. My mother did something one time that was very painful. Years later, I went to my mother and I thanked her for it because I realized what that had done for me. That trial I had gone through there had done for me. Another thing I want us to understand is that as Christians, we are stewards of the grace of God. And you say, how does that relate to faith? with me you're going to find out Uh, in uh, first Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 it says as every man hath received the gift even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God okay we are as Christians are the stewards of God great God's grace what's a steward a steward is a manager he manages things for somebody else. He does not manage his own stuff. When you manage something for somebody else, the boss, the one you're managing things for, tells you how you're supposed to manage those things. Now, he'll give you a certain amount of leeway and and things like this, but, but he's the one that decides how he wants it done. And your job is to manage that according to the precepts that he's given you well god has, god's grace is given to us to manage to uh, give out and to uh, manage for him in this world and we manage it by preaching the gospel doing it his way we manage it by getting new churches started doing it his way we manage it by the way we live our lives and the testimony that we are in Acts 1.8 it says ye shall be witnesses unto me I want you to notice something about that it does not say thou shalt do witnessing it says thou shalt be witnesses when a witness is called to the uh, in the courtroom up to the to give his testimony He's not witnessing when he's up there. He's telling what he already witnessed. You understand? Witnessing is seeing something or learning something or knowing something. When you bring in an expert witness, a doctor on, on uh, they, they bring these people in that can tell you where the bullets came from, that shot somebody and the angles they came from and all this kind of stuff. They're not witness, witnessing or seeing that. They're giving testimony of what they know. And that's what witnessing is. And we are to be witnesses. And when we are witnesses, then we give out the testimony. And I know we use the word differently, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I just want us to understand that you can't do what we call witnessing until you are, first of all, a witness who understands what you're talking about. And that, that's an important principle. But every Christian the instant they get saved, is given at least one gift that they are expected to use in the uh, service of God. And what it is will be different with different people. Sometimes they may give you more than one, but but whatever it is, he'll give you a gift and you're or to serve in that in that realm and the gift he gives you and that's what it's talking about here. The gifts that God gives us. Some people he gives uh, the gift of of uh, of speaking preaching some people he he may give the gift of of uh, uh, management Uh, and uh, some places some people he may give the gift of of uh, comforting people and whatever the gifts are and there are three or four lists in in the Bible of different spiritual gifts that people get and because none of them are the same it tells me that 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 even all of them combined are not exhaustive there are others that we don't even think about but god gives us something to serve he may give somebody the, the 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 gift of keeping the church house clean is that an important gift you bet it is because it affects what people think when they come visit your church. And we're to use those, but he he requires his stewards to be faithful. In 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that a man be fall, call, uh, found faithful. Now, I want you to think about that. We're talking about faith. A faithful person is a person who has faith and then practices it. That's what it is. When you trust God, you do what He says. You know, God has given us a book. I don't know any other book that could ever be called what this book is called. First of all, it's called the Word of God. No other book could be called that. Also, it's called a love letter, which it is every bit of that. But it's also an instruction manual. It's also a mirror to look into, into and see ourselves and refl- our reflection and make the corrections we need to correct. It's important that we understand that a faithful person follows the precepts in this book to the best of his ability. In Colossians fifteen fifty eight, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God calls each person that is saved into His work, and we'll get back to this this verse I just read, but I want to read Ephesians chapter four, verse twelve. We will cover this in more depth in a later lesson because this Ephesians chapter four, uh starting in verse eleven through at least well anyway quite a ways down, maybe the rest of the chapter. Tells what the purpose of the church is assembled And we will get into that uh, down the road But this verse in verse 12 It says For the perfecting of the saints For the work of the ministry For the edifying of the body of Christ The preachers that are given in verse 11 Are there for the perfecting of the saints For the work of the ministry Every saint is to be perfected or matured So they can get out and work in the ministry and how all of them are going to work in the same ministry. I mean, the Bible uses the the, the picture of an army and of soldiers as it talks about, about our service for Christ. And we are in a war against Satan. And having had 10 years military service and gone up through the ranks, I know a little bit about the military. And the military, first of all, it requires obeying orders. When you're in basic training and... I don't think anybody else here has been in the military but when you're in basic training they tell you to do some really intelligent stuff they'll say you see this pile of rocks I want it moved over here now why do they want it moved over here so they can tell the next guy they want that pile of rocks moved back over here or they have you dig a hole so the next guy can come in and fill the hole back up again Seems stupid, but it's not stupid. It's teaching you to obey commands without question. Now, that doesn't mean that if a commander is, is in, the te- in laying out a plan and stuff, you can't question and say, well, what, what if we did this or what if we did that? But when he gives the command, then you obey without question from that point forward. That's the way it is in God's army. That's one principle from the military. Another principle from the military is everybody that's out there on the front line in the military when you take an inter- infantry squad that's out there oh that's about 11 men if I recall correctly out there in the infantry squad there's 11 men out there there's 77 people backing them up because it takes uh, 7 people for every soldier that's on the fighting line to support them to, to make sure they have ammunition make sure they have food make sure they have clothing make sure they have hospital care when they get wounded all of the things that are necessary take 7 backup people it's no different in the Christian army we have the pastor or the preacher who stands up and preaches he needs the people that will make sure the place is clean to make sure that the the books are kept the treasure all this kind of stuff we need all of these things and those are places of service and they're just as important as the preacher's position they're all necessary to make the machine work we're, we're to work in the ministry back in in First in, uh, Corinthians 15 it says be ye steadfast unmovable God called you into a ministry whatever it may be be steadfast unmovable in that ministry do exactly what you're supposed to do to get that ministry going because that's what God's told you to do you cannot uh, effectively do a hundred different things you can't do it that's why the Bible teaches that a church once it reaches the point where it can have it should have deacons why their job is to serve in the people in the church so the pastor doesn't have to do that part of his job pastor's job is feeding the sheep nurturing the sheep taking care of the sheep that's his job his job is not, is not uh, uh, well somebody needs somebody to go over there and fix a broken toilet then you send a deacon out there to do that we all have our ministry and it's all important that we do it double minded man is unstable in all of his ways that's James chapter 1 and verse 8 double-minded it's used two times in the Bible and both of them are in the same chapter of the same book and they both say double-minded sometimes you'll find the word is translated a number of different ways but they both say double-minded so what does it mean? It the word literally means two-spirited having two spirits but what it means when you bring it down, it means vacillating, it means always changing, it means never satisfying, always having to go something else. We have an old saying, at least where I come from in America, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. If, you, if you've ever watched cows, there'll be a barbed bar wire fence, and on this side of the fence, the cow is. On this side of the fence, there's all kind of lush grass, but he's up with his head stuck through the fence eating the grass on the other side which isn't anywhere any better than the grass that's on his side. But that's that's what a double-minded man is. Uh, I want you to listen to this verse. It's, uh, it's in James chapter 4 and verse 8. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse ye ha- your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. If you're double-minded, it means you have an impure heart. It needs to be, needs to be purified. Learning to live by faith is learning to take, seek God's will, what He wants you to do, and then put your concentrated effort on that. Diligently seek to do what He wants you to do. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.